Well, amen. Thank you all again for being here with us. It is a great honor and a privilege for you to join us this morning as we continue in our sermon series, Faith Over Fear. Faith Over Fear. I know um, this is a very strange time, a very fearful time, and we as a church and as followers of Christ respond, respond, sorry, in faith, because we are not fearful of what happens, because we have faith in a God that reigns over all. And so last week, what we saw in Matthew chapter 6 was Jesus telling us that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all things will be added to us. He said, I command you, do not be anxious for the things of your life. Doesn't God care for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? How much more value are you than they? And will he not provide for you? Today we are going to be in Psalm 23. Famous passage, famous psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we're going to learn today that because of our God, we will have provision over Panic. That's the main idea today. Provision over panic. The coronavirus has been going on um, many, many months now since since China, right? Since it started in, back in December in China. But here, as far as really impacting our life, we're coming up on a, a couple of weeks now. A couple of weeks. And one thing that I think we are waking up to, maybe the biggest wake-up call from this coronavirus pandemic, is the myth that we have ultimate control of our lives. I think that that bubble has burst. I think that that myth has been laid to rest. The numbers for unemployment this past uh, week, the largest single, um, the largest single, um, uh, number of people filing for unemployment in a week. 3.3 million people filed for unemployment this past week from everything going on. That is five times the record, the previous record. 3.3 million. That's nearly three times the population of the state of Maine. We do not have ultimate control of our lives. And this pandemic is showing us that. We may think that we, you know, whatever we do, we, we'll make it work, we'll make it happen. Well, tell that to the people, the 3.3 million people that just lost their jobs through no fault of their own, absolutely out of their hands. You are some of those people, or you know some of those people, some of those people that have lost their jobs, some of those people that aren't sure where their next paycheck is coming from, some of those people that have lost hours. Some of those people that have no idea what is going on, that is what we are dealing with today. And that is what we are going to speak to today through Psalm 23 as we continue in our sermon series, Faith Over Fear. What we are going to see today is that though we have an inability to ultimately control our lives, There is a God that exists who not only knows our needs, but can provide for our needs. That not only He knows us, but He loves us and He cares for us. We're going to see that there is a God out there that is not aloof. He is not just sort of on the other end of the cosmos watching TV while we sort of languish. That, that is not how this God is. He is not oblivious to our needs. He is not disinterested. On the contrary, there is a God who is deeply familiar with you and deeply familiar with your needs, and He is a shepherd to His sheep. He provides for the needs of His people. And because of that... We have faith over fear as God's people. Because of that, we know in the midst of panic, we will be provided for. For those who know this God and have been entrusted to His care. This God brings provision, what we're going to see in Psalm 23. This God brings protection. 
And finally, this God prepares a place for us in the midst of panic. And so if you are with me today, if you are right here with me today, maybe, maybe I know for me personally, the, the pandemic, it hasn't really affected my day-to-day life. It's just in God's grace. It hasn't really affected my day-to-day life. But if it has affected your life, or if you're just weary of everything going on, or if you just hurt for the people around you, we need this message today. And it's a message from Psalm 23. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, just get on your phone and Google Psalm 23. It'll come up. It's a short little psalm. We're going to read this today, and we're going to see how God provides for us amidst panic. And so we're going to read this right now, starting in Psalm 23, verses, uh, starting in verse 1. we're going to go all the way to verse 6, and then we're going to jump in. This is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The main idea of this psalm starts right in verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right away, this psalm was written by King David. King David was a shepherd of the sheep. Whenever he was a little boy, he was out tending the flocks. Um, Whenever Samuel came by to to anoint him as king of of Israel, you can go read that. That's just extra for you. Um, But David, David, um, David right away gives us the main idea. And the main idea is this. There is a God that exists out there. He's the Lord. And he relates to his people in such a way as a shepherd relates to sheep. The Lord cares for his people, provides for his people, leads his people, loves and nurtures his people. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the dynamic. There is not a God out there who is aloof, who is just beyond. It's, God does isn't like, a, like the DMV, right? We go to the DMV because we have to. It's the worst thing in the world, but we have to. The DMV person is not going to bend over backwards to help you. They're just not going to do it. That's not a part of it. They just, you know, next, next. That's not how our God treats us. He is a shepherd to sheep. And because of that, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will have no needs. That's a very comforting thought today. And the trick The key is this. For those who know Jesus, it's not a thought. For those who know Jesus, it is a promise. For those who know Jesus, it is a truth. For those who know Jesus, it is a reality. If you don't know Christ, it's a thought. And we're going to get to that at the very end to call you to know this Jesus, this God, this Lord, this shepherd who will provide for all of your needs. Okay. The, The theme of God being a shepherd and his people being a sheep, that, that's a theme that runs throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible from beginning to the end, you see this imagery, you see this metaphor of God as a shepherd and his people as sheep. And it's kind of strange for us to think about um, or relate to, because I, I have never in my life met a shepherd. I don't know if you, maybe you're a shepherd. If you do, if you are a shepherd, then you know you have sort of a, a, a closer look at this, a deeper understanding than we do. I've never met a shepherd before in my life. I would love to meet a shepherd. I've never led sheep before in my life. But I think we can all understand and get the imagery. I think we can all understand that if the sheep don't have a shepherd, then the sheep will be lost. Throughout the Bible, God is referred to as a shepherd. This is in Genesis 48, 15. This is Israel, um, not the nation, but the man, Jacob, Israel. It's, his name got changed. This is him on his deathbed. This is what he said. He said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd 
all my life long to this day. This is, this is from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So right away from the very beginning of the Bible, we understand God as a shepherd. And not only that, the Bible also understands us as his sheep, as his flock, as his fold. So it says, Psalm 103, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his pasture. Not only is God described as a shepherd, but God also enlists shepherds to do his work. Moses, if you know Moses, the guy that led um, Israel out of Egypt, that said, Pharaoh, let my people go. He was a shepherd. He was in the wilderness wandering around whenever God, he met God. He was a shepherd. Jesus, in John chapter 10, is known as the good shepherd. It shows up everywhere you go because that dynamic of shepherd with sheep perfectly captures God's care for his people. And that is for you to know. Do you feel like there is a God out there that cares about you, that knows what you need, and is there to lead and guide you as a shepherd does with sheep? That's what Psalm 23 says for us. It is a deep theme that runs through the Bible and is the main theme of Psalm 23 here. It perfectly captures God's relationship to his people and vice versa. And so I just, again, want to meditate on that. On that, Do you feel that way? Especially now, right, with everything going on. Do you feel that? Do you feel the presence of a holy, righteous, all-powerful God that loves you and cares for you? Have you ever felt that before? Is this just weird to think of? Is this something you've never even thought about before? What David is saying in Psalm 23 is that God is there. And you can know Him. More importantly, He knows you. And we'll get at the very end to how you can know this God. But that is the truth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So that's the main idea. Now we're coming to our first big point. Our first big point. We as God's people will not panic because the shepherd provides for a sheep. We have provision over panic. We have provision over panic. This is what it says, Psalm 23, 1-3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God brings provision for His sheep. That's what we see in these, in these three verses right here. He brings provision for His sheep. And this provision is broken up into two types of provision. We have physical, bodily provision, food, water, rest, that type of thing that that the shepherd provides. And then we have spiritual provision. We have provisions for the soul, sustenance and life for the soul. So let's start with the bodily one. This is what we see. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. A shepherd takes his sheep out to feed. He takes his sheep out to water. And not only that, he will guard and protect them and bring them to a place where they can lie down and sleep. That's what God does for us. Every single meal that you have ever eaten in your life has been provided for you by God. Every meal. I remember um, back whenever I moved up to Augusta, in the morning I would be making a bowl of Cheerios. Just so thankful to God that I got this bowl of Cheerios. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why I was like that. Just very cognizant of these Cheerios being provided for me, not by whoever the company is, or the bee or whatever, right? But by God. God provided those Cheerios for me. And it's the same for all of us. Like a shepherd with sheep. We saw that last week, um, right, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Is not the body more than food? And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Will he not provide them for you? So we have already seen this. God provides for our needs. 
our physical needs. But you have to remember, and as the psalm um, concludes as well, we aren't sheep, right? We, we are more than sheep. We have bodies, yes, but we have something that sheep don't have. We have souls. We, we, are, we are spiritual beings, right? We, we have a body, but we, there's more to us than just our physical body. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There's a spiritual side of all this, another, another side of all. This is not all that there is. And so because of that, God also provides for our souls, provides for us spiritually. The reason being, we were made in the image of God. That's what it says in Genesis 3. God made all things. He made his microphone. He made the tree outside. He made my family. He made my hair. He made, he made everything, um, animals, everything. But only human beings did he make in his image. And so because of that, we are distinct over all of creation. Over all of creation, we have a soul. We have a spirit. We've been tasked with exemplifying God's character to the world. Love, peace, faith, kindness, gentleness, all of these things that God has given us that are true about him, he has given us to show the world. And we do it imperfectly because we are sinful, broken people, but we are still made in the image of God. And so as God, as image bearers of God, God restores our souls. He cares not just about the outside, but about the inside. In fact, that is what is most important. It says, He restores my soul. Rejuvenation, renewal. And then the last one, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. And we're going to meditate on this one little bit. He leads me in paths of righteousness. God's provision for us isn't, again, just physical, and isn't just restoration or renewal, but it's also showing us how to live our lives. God provides us with the truths of right living. That's what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There are many routes you can go in your life. Many decisions you can make, many forks in the road. And the question is, which is the right way to go? You can go to the right, you can go to the left. Which one's the right way? The Bible tells us that there is a right way to live your life and there is a wrong way to live your life. That you can go down the wrong fork. That some ways lead to thriving, lead to prosperity, lead to life that you can go down. Other, other roads you can go down lead to death lead to dead ends, lead to depression, lead to anxiety, lead to destruction. And I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, you know that you have made many wrong decisions in your life that have really not worked out to your benefit. The Bible says that God, our shepherd, leads us in paths of righteousness. If you want to know how to live your life, it's saying to follow the shepherd. If you know how to live your life, follow the shepherd. We all need help navigating life. Follow the shepherd. This is what it says. Psalm 119, 105. This is a very famous passage. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How does God lead us in paths of right to paths of righteousness? With his word. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I don't know if you've ever, whenever you're a kid, you have those, those big mazes and you try to draw and get from the start to the end, right? Well, try doing that, but the whole thing's black, right? It's all dark. You can't see anything. You have no way where you're supposed to go. What Psalm 119.105 tells us is that God's Word directs our path. It shows us. It not only does it direct us, it shows us what's ahead. It shows us what's at the end of this road. It shows us what's at the end of that road and shows us where to go. If we do not follow God's word, we end up like the folks here in Isaiah 59.10. It says that we grope for the wall like the blind. So these people are walking around in darkness. I think about someone, you know, in the middle of the night, you wake up to go to the bathroom or something. You're trying to find that light switch, trying to turn on the light. You can't find it. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. It is just bright as day and you still can't see. 
Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. Even, even people with vitality of life, they, in this darkness, in this moral uncertainty that they are in, have um, just wasted away to being like dead men. Life is confusing. Life is treacherous. How do we know we're making the right decision? How do we know where to go? What the Bible says is that we need to follow the shepherd, follow his rules, follow his word, and we, we will be provided for, we will be led, we will come to paths of righteousness. Let me just say this. We live in a very, very morally confused time. And it's not, it's not that we can just sort of come up and, and say that this is right or that's right, okay? It's very clear, if you think about it, that there is an objective standard of right and wrong, okay? There is an objective standard. Some things are right, whether we choose to believe it or not. Some things are wrong, whether we choose to believe it or not. And that might kind of make you feel a little weird, but that just has to be the case. If you say that there's no moral objective standard, then that statement you just said is wrong because you that has to be that statement has to be morally that has to be objective, right? For that to even be true. So you, it just cuts itself away. The question is which path is the right path? It's not whether it is which. Which path is the right path? What we see is that God's word is the right path. This is what it says in Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blast is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Two paths presented here. The one path is the path of blessing for the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who delights in the word of God, who meditates on his words. That's one path. The second path is the path of the counsel of the wicked. So not God's word, not God's counsel, but the counsel of the wicked, the counsel of the sinners, the counsel of the scoffers. Which way are you going to go? Which way, which path are you going to walk down? Continuing, the man who goes down the first, the first path is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. That is the message we need right now, right? That is the message we, we need right now. The man who's planted in the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, even though it gets dry, even though rain hasn't come, even though there is panic in the streets. It says... Its leaf does not wither. Its flower does not fade. He stands firm because he's planted and rooted in the word of God. He follows the shepherd. Where does our provision come from? Why do we not have panic right now? Because of the shepherd. The shepherd of the sheep. Because of the Lord. That is the word that we need. We as a church are committed to the word of God. We believe that it is truth. God's word is truth, and it shows us the way to live, and it leads us to righteousness and prosperity and blessing and life, to God's glory, not to our glory, but to God's glory. We are committed to that. And so for you, I, I encourage you, if, if you've never read the Bible before, you have questions, please reach out to me. Direct message me. My name is Aaron Manning, A-A-R-O-N, M-A-N-N-I-N-G. Send me a message. I would love to chat with you and help you understand this word. I just, this past week, got on the phone with a guy in our church, and we just read through the beginning of John, John chapter 1. That's what we do because we believe that it is for our good, that that is how God provides for us. Amen to that. And so going on, I'm just going to quickly skip back here just to get back on our, um, on our, our passage here. It says... That the Lord is our shepherd, he leads us in paths of righteousness, and then it leads us to this very last little clause here. And this is very important. Why does God do all of these things? Why does God lead us? Why does he make us lie down? Why does he lead us in paths of righteousness? This is what it says. It says, for his name's sake. 
God does all of this for His name's sake. What does that mean? The end of God's shepherding of us is His glory. God provides for us, God loves us, God leads us, so that He will be glorified. God shepherds us for His glory. And that sounds kind of weird. It sounds like He has kind of ulterior motives. But let me explain it this way. It'll make more sense. Parents, with your kids, okay? You provide for your kids. You love your kids. You lead your kids. You give your kids everything. You want your kid to respond with a spirit of thankfulness, right? You want to provide your kids for your kids in such a way that their response is one of thanksgiving, is one of grace, is one of love, to say, you know, Mom, Dad, you are awesome. I thank you so much for everything I have. You are awesome, and you deserve just all the praise you get for how awesome parents you are. How often does that happen? Probably never, right? Probably never, never happen. But if the opposite happens, and you provide for your kids, and your kids are like, I want more, gimme, 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 what is that? Well, that kid's a spoiled brat, right? That kid is a spoiled brat. And it's the same way with God. If we just start taking in and shoving mouthfuls of the stuff, mouthfuls in our mouth of the stuff that God's given us, we are spoiled children. But if we understand that everything God, everything we have is from God, we give Him glory. We give Him honor. We give Him praise. We say, wow, all this stuff is nice, but man, the God of the stuff, that is what is amazing. He is the one that's done it. It's for His namesake that I thank Him. That's why God does everything. God has provided just everything to us. Everything to us. And so the only right and proper response is praise for Him. For His name's sake. And so that's what we see in the first section here. We do not fear. We do not panic because there is provision over panic. So as we continue, getting back to my slides here, to our next section, what we're going to see in the next section is that not only does God provide for us, but God also protects us. And so in next, this verse 4, we will not panic. We will not panic because the shepherd protects the sheep. We will not panic because the, pe- the shepherd protects the sheep. This is what it says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The imagery here is a man, maybe with his sheep, going through the valley. In the valleys there are many shadows. It says the valley of the shadow of death. With the shadows, you don't know what the shadow is, right? If it's dark and you can't see, you're not sure if that's just another sheep, or it could be a wolf, could it be a thief. You have no idea. But what David says here is that he will not fear. Even though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he will not fear. The first thing we need to see here is that God does not promise that there won't be danger or evil. We are experiencing that right now. God never promises that we won't face danger or evil. It, it's presupposing it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So it's going to happen. It's going to come. And we know that from experience right now. And yet, David, understanding that there is danger, understanding that there is fear, he says, I will fear no evil. Even though these things are going to happen, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yes, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds like a really scary place. I'm not afraid, because you are with me. There is absence of fear, not because of an absence of evil, but because of the presence of God. Say that again. There is absence of fear, not because of the absence of evil, but because of the presence of God. 
God's presence casts out fear. That is an outstanding word, an outstanding promise that God being with us is our source of strength. Not that the thing isn't happening, but that God is there in the midst of it all. This is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Just throughout Scripture, you see this theme of God's presence being the antidote to fear. This is Moses again, Exodus 3, 10-12. God just dropped the bomb on him about going to Pharaoh and bringing, Egypt, uh, bringing Israel out of Egypt. Okay, This whole nation of slaves, bringing them out of Egypt, saying it to this guy Moses. Okay, And look at, and Moses is like, how the heck is that going to happen? Look at what God says. He says, come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Like, how the heck is that going to work? But then God said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the promise. He doesn't give him an AK-47. He doesn't give him a rocket launcher. He doesn't say, all right, let's just really, you know, strap up and just go in guns blazing. No, the promise of success is that God will be with Moses. And that is the only promise that Moses needed. Matthew 28, 19-20. We likewise are being sent out by God as the church. Not to Egypt, that's already happened. But we as followers of Jesus are sent out to the world to preach Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why are we going to be successful in preaching the name of Christ? Because Jesus is with us. And if you know the story, Acts chapter 2, the church is waiting there in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes, falls on them, empowers them to speak the gospel. God with us. And then finally, the promise of Jesus in Isaiah 7, 14. This is what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God promised that he would send a Savior to his people Israel. And the sign is that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be Emmanuel. That name Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. This is the theme throughout Scripture that God is with His people. Again, He's not far off. He's not aloof. He is here. And He's not only, He's not just like here in spirit. In Jesus, He was here on this earth. That's the, the outstanding thing. Like literally here in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God in man, crucified, resurrected, reigning still. So we have all the protection. We need because God is with us. Our hope at the end of all of this is that there will be no evil. There will be no danger. There will be no panic, heartache, none of that. And it's a hope that's well-founded because there is no coronavirus in heaven. There's no any virus in heaven. There's no cancer. The Bible says that there's no crying, there's no mourning, there's no pain, there's no disease. So our hope is well-founded. We know that beyond this horizon, everything works out for those who know the shepherd, right? But in the meantime, this is the necessity of faith. The necessity of looking at the valley of darkness and saying, I will fear no evil because God is with me. Faith is shown in times of crisis. Faith is shown in the face of danger. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's easy to say that you have faith whenever everything's hunky-dory, whenever you got your job, whenever your marriage is great, whenever you know um, everything is working out. It's easy to say you have faith. But whenever the rubber hits the road, whenever times get tough, that's where faith is shown. Do you really trust and lean on the presence of God being enough in your life to deliver you from what you are going through. Our God is a God who is there, and our God is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our source of hope and strength, and He will protect us through it all. This is what it says, Romans 8, 37 
39. This is one of these passages that you just sort of yell out and scream. It says, No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The shepherd is not going to be separated from the sheep. It's not going to happen. And so because of that, we have all the confidence in this world and in the next that we will have provision and protection over panic. Amen to that. Nothing to fear. Provision and protection over panic because our shepherd is with us. And then finally, these last two verses here, what we see is that now our God, our shepherd, will provide a place for us. Our shepherd makes preparations for us. And there's a little bit of switch in the imagery here. Now God is seen as a host and not a shepherd, but it's the same truth still applies. We will not panic because the host has prepared a place for us. We will not panic because the host has prepared a place for us. This is what it says. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every uh, couple of months or so, uh, me and Hannah and uh, the kids will jump into the van and make a trek up to Bethel to Hannah's uh, dad and, and, her, and her stepmom, my in-laws. And they recently moved from Bethel to New Hampshire. But it was always a trip that we were excited to make because anytime we go to um, Papa and Winnie's house, anytime we go, they always have a meal prepared. These people love to play host and they do a great job. We get there, there's appetizers, it's, it's just a beautiful, you know, beautiful spot they have. Appetizers there, there's food getting ready to cook, put in the oven, there's a table setting, um, plates, napkins, utensils, and we're just like, yes, like, let's do this, right? And it's one of those things where you don't want to eat too much of the appetizers because then you're full for the dinner, but you just kind of eat for like six hours straight type of thing the whole time you're there, right? And it's just amazing, right? And, and we all know that. The, the pleasure of a good meal, right? The, the everybody likes a good meal. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. Not sure how Easter is going to work out this year. But that's, we love that. And to, to have someone host you and provide for you and prepare a place for you and invite you to the table, there's, there's just a feeling of acceptance and relief and enjoyment and joy that comes from that. Here, we see God as host. And we, before, um, well, I'll, I'll get there. We see that in a few instances. It says that you prepare a table before me. So we see a table. Then it moved down a little bit. It says that my cup overflows. So there's a table. The assumption is that there's food. Their cup is overflowing. They don't have to say, waiter, waiter, I need some more drink here. Their cup is overflowing. It says, you anoint my head with oil. What does that mean? Um, you know, these guys are in the Middle East. It's very dry. It's very um, hot. It's very dusty. And that was a form of, of um, hospitality. Whenever people would come, they'd get oil and the, it'd be provided for them, for their guests to refresh and rejuvenate them. And so that's what God does for us. He sets a table before us. And I just, I love the imagery because we already talked about God's provision for us. But now it's less that God provides food for us and more that he cooks a meal for us. And not just cooking a meal for us, but that he sets the table for us. And not just that he sets the table for us, but he invites us to come and sit down and eat. It is such an attention to detail. That God says, "Hey, hold up. Let me. Let me. I'm just. All you got to do. This is this thing. God is saying, all you have to do is come and sit down. That's it. All you got to do is come and sit down. You don't got to pick up anything on the way over. 
you don't got to, you know, pick up any meat or veggies or whatever or utensils or, you know, pay a plate. Don't worry about it. Just come and sit down at my table. I have prepared a place for you. That is an outstanding word from God. And as, as it's, so it's, it's not just provision. God doesn't just provide for us. But it's the enjoyment of the provision in the presence of the provider. Okay, I'm going to say it again. It's not just the provision. It's the enjoyment of the provision in the presence of the provider. With God, there are no leftover nights. There are no leftover nights. What do I mean? It's later in the week. You don't want to cook. You have leftovers, right? You don't even like your kids anymore, but you know you got to feed them. And you're like, all right, we got all these leftovers, so just you're just good luck, right? You know, nuke some, nuke some chicken nuggets. Just find something to eat. Make sure it's not moldy, right? That's not how God is with us. There are no leftovers. He's not like fin for yourself. I'm tired of you guys. No, every single meal, come and sit down at my table. Come and sit down at my table. And that that is that is just. God's and we we just saying that once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you the tragedy is this as as awesome as all of this sounds with the shepherd and the sheep and the protection and the table and all that not everyone is going to sit down not everyone is going to sit down at that table what do I mean by that this is the pair a parable from Luke 15, this is from Jesus' own mouth. This is a story that Jesus is telling to explain why people do not sit down at the table. A parable called the parable of the, ba- the great banquet. And what we're going to see is that some will reject this host and reject his hospitality. This is what it says in Luke 14. It's a little bit longer, but stay with me. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, this guy said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited uh, many guests. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So this guy is putting on this banquet and now he's just going and inviting his guests, people that had already been invited to the banquet. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have an excuse. So one guy couldn't go because he had work or something. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have an excuse. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Happy wife, happy life, I guess. I can't come, sorry. Okay? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those Men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In this parable, Jesus is describing what it means for him to come into this world and what the reaction that he received means for the people that either responded in belief in him or responded in rejection to him. The great banquet symbolizes what's known as the arrival of God's kingdom. Whenever Jesus come, came to this world, God's kingdom arrived in this world in a decisive new way so that now all people can be reconciled to God through this man, Jesus Christ. Jesus says at the beginning of ministry, repent for the kingdom of God is here. God is coming and restoring all things. He is taking back his creation. He is making all things new and he's doing it through me right now. It's happening right now. And it will be fully, finally completed whenever Jesus returns. That's what we hope for. That now Jesus has come into this world, we no longer have to be separated. That was the good news. That's what the table, the great banquet, symbolized. 
And as message of this went out to the, the, the whole world, but, but in that context, went out to the people of Israel, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They said, look, I got, I got other things going on. I got a wife. I got some, some cows over here. I got this new sort of, um, this new business thing going on. I, I just, I got stuff going on. And so they, they rejected the host. They rejected, they did not want to be a guest at that table. And the same happens today. God has set out a table and he invites us all to sit down. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to figure out that God stuff later, right? I'm going to figure out the God stuff later. I got time. I still want to live my life, right? Or that stuff is all made up. That's not true at all. Or yeah, I, you know, I got saved as a little kid in, uh, in youth camp, right? I'm, I'm all set. Me and God are good. Although, you know, you're living your life nothing like God is saying in, in the word, right? And, and you fooled yourself. That, that is the response that people have to Jesus. That's the response people have to God. God has set out a table before them, and people will not sit. People will not sit at the table because they have better things to do. They have better things to do. For those who do sit at the table, we have a hope. This is what it says in Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. For those who have sat at the table, tasted and seen that the Lord is good in this life, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. In this life, we have no fear. And our hope being beyond this life, nothing to fear there either. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have sat at the table. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so as we conclude, I'm going to have a conclusion and a call. For my fellow brothers and sisters, do not panic. Do not fear. Our God, our shepherd, our host is with us. He will provide for us. We have no reason to panic. We have provision, protection. He has prepared a place for us. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Those are our promises. That is our word. It is our word that cannot be taken from us. But friends, you who do not know Christ, who have not sat down at the table, let me be very blunt with you in love for you. All of these promises are not for you. They are not for you because you do not know Christ Jesus as your God, your King, your Shepherd. It is only those who have come and sat at the table, only those who have turned from their sins and placed their faith in Jesus. That is who it is for. Well, why is that? Well, this is what the Bible says. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. God is here, ready, able, willing to save you. But you need to understand that you need saving. It says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear that there is a, an expanse between you and God that you cannot jump over by your good works, that you cannot cross by your good deeds. The Bible says we only cross it by faith in Jesus, turning from our sin, placing our faith in Him, believing He died on the cross, rose from the dead. If you have panic about what is going on these past two weeks, my friend, I tell you, you have much more to panic about. Separation from God is eternal. And you need to respond. The Bible says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the good news is that God has made a place for us at the table. We just have to sit down and eat. We have to sit down and eat. And we can because it says the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. If you want to sit at this table, if you want the protection, the provision, the preparation of the shepherd, I call you today to pray to God. Ask Him to save you.
from your sins. That is the only way that we can in Christ Jesus so that you can join us as a church in believing this last passage here, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we were supposed to be judged for our sin. Jesus died in our place that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might live a new life. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Church, he is our shepherd. He is our overseer. He provides care for us. Friend, if you do not know this Jesus, I call you to turn and place your faith in him and him alone to save so that you can be one with God, renewed, rejoicing, shepherd under uh, sheep under the shepherd. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word that is true, that gives so much rest, that gives so much hope, that gives so much joy. Lord, for us that know this Jesus, who is our good shepherd, we have nothing to fear. No fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. I have nothing to fear, Lord. Thank you for that. What I fear for, Lord, is those that do not know this Jesus, that do not know his salvation, that do not know his joy, that do not know his peace, that do not know his grace. I pray for these people that they would turn and respond in faith, believing that Jesus can save them from something much worse than this virus, can save them from their sin. We were all like that sheep that have gone astray, but God has made a place for us. We just need to sit down at the table. Lord, help us to turn from our sins, to believe in Christ, to trust Him to save us, not our own works, but to repent and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I give you my life. I believe in Christ, His death and His resurrection. I pray that this morning, Lord, for everyone who is questioning, who is doubting, who isn't sure, who wants this hope, who wants this peace, we can have it with you, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace, for your word, for everything that we have, Lord, all a gift. We lift up all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.